Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to the second of our July 2021 episodes. I'm Steve Randall and we've got a superb mix of new technology and traditional building for you this time. We'll hear how mixed reality is helping to shape the future of construction and talk about the challenge of tight supplies of materials, which is pushing up costs. What does connected construction look like? Viewpoint Construction Software connects your office, team and field. Viewpoint's cloud-based project management and field solutions help contractors of all sizes manage projects, processes and people from the design phase through to on-site completion and handover. To learn how Viewpoint is helping Wilmot Dixon, Kia, Galliford Tri, and over 8,000 other construction companies deliver projects on time and on budget, visit viewpoint.com. As always on Constructive Voices, Peter Finn, a.k.a. Pete the Builder, is here with me. How's things, Pete? Busy. <laughs> it's getting getting busier week by week at the moment. Going good and uh, a lot of uh, transition in play at the moment in construction. And I think we're going to be discussing a bit of that later, in particular the effects that the increase in material costs are having globally and the tactics that builders have got to use and the construction industry in general have got to use and how do we approach and and get around these challenges. I think that's what we're going to be discussing later on. Yeah, absolutely, because it seems like everybody's doing construction work. Everybody wants construction. Everybody wants the same materials. Plus, there's still people doing DIY, so the pressure is immense. It's a tough challenge, but uh, us in the construction industry, that's what we do. We always come across challenges, and we uh, go around them, under them, or over them. We get around them some way, <laughs> and uh, that's what we'll we'll just have to do with this one, too. So looking forward to discuss that with you later. But before that, we're going to talk about mixed reality. Now, this is, uh, this is a big, big deal, and I know it's something that excites you. You. Yeah, hundred percent. It's um, it's just another one of those technological advances that is that is happening all around us, and it's one of those new elements that's been brought into construction. It's been used in other industries, but it's now coming into construction. It's really allowing people look at things obviously from a different perspective, go through a construction project virtually before and during the process. So, really exciting stuff. Um, great interview. Really looking forward to listening to it. Great. Thanks, Pete. We'll chat more later. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. On to mixed reality then, and Matt Banks has been talking with James Lee Burgess, who began by sharing his construction industry career so far. I'm an architect. Uh, Cool. It's been a while now, about 20 years. And um, I set up my company, Excel Works, about 18 months ago after working in sort of traditional practice up until that point and holding senior positions in those. We have a slightly different business model to other practices. We've set out with a mission to embrace technology more and uh, also work collaboratively. So we've got a collaborative practice model where we have key collaborators that join the team for specific projects. That seems to be working out well at the moment. It's quite exciting. Could you sort of explain what mixed reality is? Mixed reality covers off virtual reality and also augmented reality. So mixed reality is a holistic term. Um, You also get people talking about extended reality, which is the same thing, basically. Virtual reality is where you're using a headset 
a lot of people have experienced this and it's a closed environment. Whereas augmented reality overlays information on your real world view. So I suppose the most well-known kind of example of that that came out was something like Pokemon Go on the on mobile phones. In terms of commercial application, we have moved into working with Microsoft HoloLens, which is kind of a mix between the two, really. It's a really innovative holographic headset that Microsoft have produced, and it allows you to overlay uh, 3D holograms onto your real environment. And so that's the kind of thing we're, we're working solely with HoloLens at the moment. But um, I think in the future, we'll be looking at all all kinds of different uh, technologies to take advantage of this mixed reality um, space that's evolving quite quickly in design and construction. As far as I'm aware, you also work with Trimble Connect as part of your mixed reality stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, the Microsoft HoloLens is quite new technology, but along with the, um, the sort of standard headset, Trimble teamed up with Microsoft to develop a headset called the XR10. Now, that's a sight helmet that has the HoloLens attached to it, and it's safety approved, sight approved. And along with the XR10, Trimble have also developed software called Trimble Connect for HoloLens. Now, this is a piece of software. It's an application for the headset. I mean, you don't have to use the XR10. You can also use it on the standard Microsoft HoloLens. And the way it works is that you have a cloud-based piece of software called Trimble Connect, which a lot of people use and are familiar with at the moment. And it allows design teams to upload 3D models and share 3D data in a cloud-based um kind of filing system and you can download Trimble Connect for HoloLens onto onto your headset and that can then access those 3D models and pull them down from the cloud into the headset and allow you to work with those through the HoloLens and so it's quite a good joined up workflow from that point of view and we're using that technology via a a sort of R&D program we're running called Construct XR. We were finding that there was quite a lot of interest in HoloLens and having been in the industry locally as well for quite a while, um, I have quite a few contacts and we started to come up with the idea that we might be able to roll out a program where people can engage with the technology and it gives some R&D and experience to staff but also uh, we always look to do outreach to students as well. So We've got the software, we've got the headset, and now we're doing two projects at the moment using the equipment on real-life projects um, and putting Chimble Connect HoloLens and the headsets through their paces on construction sites and uh, also doing student engagement work as well, which is really exciting. Obviously, this is new technology to a lot of people. How do you see it being further integrated into the construction industry uh, in the future? Well, yeah, I suppose that at the moment through through this Construct XR project, the great thing is we're getting loads of feedback from contractors, designers uh, and students as well. The great thing about something like the HoloLens is that it kind of ignites a bit of interest as well and excitement about design and construction. Mm. And I think people can see how, you know, things will adapt in the future. You know, we've got people saying, well, this would have saved us so much time on this issue we had where we were talking about steelwork connection on site, you know, where because you can drop the model in at full scale and walk around, you know, effectively the building at full scale. And 
also in terms of we're using a Norwich Castle Museum project, which is a, a grade one listed uh, castle keep. And we're working with Connorsby engineers on that one. And they're using it now to drop their steel into the existing fabric of the building and note where there's potential clashes with existing bits of fabric that they want to avoid. And they're using it as a live kind of 3D markup tool, which has been quite powerful for them. And then also, for example, at the Digitech factory project in Norwich, which we're working on also with the whole design team, which is Carter's, Coffee Architects, Clear Consultant Design and Clancy Engineers. We're going to just about start using that to look at coordinating M&E layout, also engagement with the clients over interiors, because it allows you to experience things at full scale. But in terms of clash detection and coordination of services, that's a really clear use case going forwards for the HoloLens. And I think also in terms of we've been talking about how it could be used to set out partitioning internally as opposed to having to cross-reference to a drawing constantly and read a drawing in plan, the HoloLens can represent setting out walls in 3D in front of you. And the great thing about it is it's hand-free as well. So you're not encumbered by drawings or, you know, holding up a, an iPad and things like that. I think over the next five years, it's going to be a really rapid development. Many people seem to think that the construction industry is very slow to adapt but I think we might be surprised at how quickly this kind of technology starts to take hold because we've got we've got a new generation of people coming through. Um, you know, I think boards at companies that may have been a bit more um, stuck in their ways are changing and looking outwards. You know, and I'm, so I think it's it's quite promising. I think it will become over the next five years it will become pretty ubiquitous um, in the, in the process. Um, and certainly the feedback from clients and construction and design teams has been very positive. It's not the finished article. Uh, you know, there's, there's some way to go, potentially. But you see um, a lot of a lot of companies, you know, Apple, Sony, a lot of Chinese firms are now developing their own augmented reality headsets that are untethered, so similar to the HoloLens, but none of them as advanced as the HoloLens. And they're all kind of pushing applications within the design and construction sector for the, for these devices. So I think it's going to be potentially a quite surprising sort of shift for a lot of, lot of people. And have you always been passionate about technology and, and the utilisation of technology in what you do? Or have you found yourself adapting as, as your career has gone on? I kind of adapted. I mean, I, I mean, I've always been a bit of a geek. I think this sort of journey began really when I started working on the Digitech factory project here in Norwich. So when, at my last practice, we won that bid um, in collaboration with Coffee Architects. And I think one of the things we sort of came upon was that me and Phil Coffey, director of Coffee Architects, both kind of, we realised we kind of both kind of lived through this weird time in the past because of that old, where, you know, personal computers weren't in existence, but then suddenly they appeared. And it was a really exciting time. And so that connection with technology, I've always been open to to exploring new things. But I think when you're in the sort of up against the cold face uh, doing day-to-day stuff in architecture, you know, it's difficult to find time to explore these things. So I probably ne- I've never really you know, got into the deep, dark depths of building information modeling. Rim. 
But um, I think once I got involved in the Digitech and I started talking to people in tech industry in Norwich because we started speaking to them, I kind of realized that this industry is kind of not looking forwards at all. The kind of things that were happening locally in terms of tech um, with companies getting international recognition for innovation, it seemed quite interesting to me that construction kind of wasn't there yet. It's a very wide spectrum. So I kind of... um, started thinking about the context of all that and uh, when you develop a new business the plan was always well what do I have to do for this business to make it relevant for the next 10 years you know technology is is the thing that has to be embraced to get yourself in the right position for for that kind of development so you mentioned earlier that the construction industry has historically been sort of quite slow to adapt to these sorts of things and I wonder if the pandemic has sort of forced a lot of companies' hands to embrace technology a bit more? Well, I think what it's done, it, it's, I mean, at a very base level, it's kind of forced, you know, remote working and use of, you know, you know, meetings, applications such as Zoom and Microsoft Teams, which, believe it or not, you know, a lot, they've been around forever, but um, a lot of companies do see that as <laughs> quite groundbreaking. <laughs> I think that's changed that point of view. And that kind of opens people up to what the other opportunities are. So I think it has had a long-lasting effect, and it's kind of got this concept of how technology can help the way a business functions. It's got that up to board level because it's had to be a serious discussion about how how those things function. So I think, yeah, I think it has had a longer-lasting effect. These kind of things were inevitable. You know, they were inevitable. They were going to happen, you know, looking forward at the way technology was developing. But it's kind of pulled things forward. You know, I always use five or ten-year increments, but... It's probably pulled these boards by at least five years in terms of working practice, probably for, for, for all industries, maybe. But I think particularly for construction, for sure. I know that many businesses are having these discussions about, you know, how can we innovate? How can we use technology now? And in the long term, that can only be a good thing, right? Yeah, totally. I think it, um, it's going to be a difficult transition for construction because, it, you know, it's a very traditional format. So I think it's going to bring some pain to a lot of people, probably. Some people have problems working out about remote working, you know, which is sort of like the baseline, really. I think it all depends on how easy the technology is to use, um, which is one of the reasons why we're getting quite excited about HoloLens, because it, it's quite intuitive. There was a comment that I think somebody from Trimble made about the, the, the headset, you know, being uh, the ability to democratise data. This way of accessing information more easily and um, I think that's going to have a huge effect on industry because it's a very complex process designing, constructing a building. And there's loads of places where information can get missed or misunderstood. It causes a lot of waste. It causes a lot of stress. That's the, one of the things you want to try and cut out is all of those things. Sustainability is about, you know, lo- using less stuff. But it's also, you know, there's, there's, there's a social side of it as well. And construction can be very stressful quite confrontational sometimes so anything that allows people to collaborate more and understand how things are working or where the problem is i think is is positive so i think that could be a real thing as well you mentioned earlier that a lot of the the big work that you've been doing this year has been in the middle of the lockdown and the pandemic and i just wanted to know what your business has been doing uh, and how it's adapted and, and how you personally as a director have had to adapt to the pandemic yeah, I mean, we had to, we you had a base in Norwich, um, you know, a shared office space, and um, that had to be kind of shelved um, because everything stopped. So we 
that it, that's the kind of forced the home working situation, which a lot of people had to do anyway. But I think what it made me realise was that it is totally possible to function from home with this kind of setup. But in terms of, you know, projects and, you know, those kind of things, things paused for a bit while everybody got their heads around, you know, how sites to function. But construction's kind of carried on a bit. So I think in terms of the way the way I work, you know, I think I'm doing obviously the classic a lot more Zoom meetings, but it's not been a huge disruption to the way I was set up because I had homeworking in place anyway. I think one of the things that is a challenge for people um, kind of working at home on their own is just making sure that you do get that interaction. I think design and creativity is quite difficult in that environment. So anything that kind of aids that process um, is, is, is positive. So the ability to get out for even small face-to-face design meetings is very mm. welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot harder to be collaborative when everyone's on a screen, isn't it? It's yeah, and that, that is what we're finding. But I think you, you kind of you kind of adapt to it. Shifting gears a little bit, um, you've you've mentioned a few of the projects that you've you've done, and I, I just wanted to ask if there are, are any others or, or any that you'd like to sort of go into more detail with ones that you are sort of particularly proud of. Digitech Factory up at City College, I think, is a really fascinating project because I've been involved in that right from the start. I think it covers off a lot of really interesting angles in terms of technology and education and design as well. Um, we're doing the interiors on that project, so we're still we're going to be involved in it right to the end because I've followed it all the way through, right from um, you know winning the funding from the local uh, the LEP because it's a it's a government funded project, and the buildings there to deliver the new T level curriculum which is a, a new um, qualification, which is the equivalent of, I think, three A-levels. But it's focusing on how technology and practical uh, experience, so there's work placements, placements involved as well, um, can be delivered. So it's a, it's a new education format. It's got a new building. So it's quite an exciting mix, really. And also, you know, dealing with students that have potentially aren't going down the, the classic education route um it's a, it's a college and um you know it's accessible to a, to a lot of different demographics and it has a huge catchment area through whole norfolk even though we're not the architects you know it's a it's a, an amazing journey to see and work with the, the school the college and the students and you know discuss how technology and the development of that technology is going to influence how some of these students how they're going to be working in the future because you know some of the roles and things they're going to be doing once they get through college uh, and potentially go into work placement, you know, haven't even been developed yet because, you know, it's quite a shifting landscape all the time in terms of technology. Is this the the first time in your career that you've worked through the lens of education and, and with young students? Um, I've done some stuff before, but mainly with primary school level, talking about sustainability and um, I think it's really rewarding. That is a sort of a bit of a gap I've always thought through my career is that engagement with schools. Um, I know that the IBA does stuff, um, but it's um, I think there's a big focus on STEM, which is science, technology, um, English and maths. But I think architecture, it kind of straddles lots of different things. So quite often it gets forgotten. And it's kind of part of the... Um, Part of trying to trying to sort of um, spread the word about the industry because I think there's a there's a potentially a real issue with skills shortages 
in construction full stop. Anything that can be done to inspire people. And, you know, sometimes construction is seen as it's not top of the list. And it's just trying to, trying to, trying to get people to realise, you know, this, this, it is hard work. You know, you're going to have to work outside in sub-zero temperatures. You know, it, it's rough stuff sometimes. But if it begins to embrace technology, make sites safer, more off-site construction, safer working environments, technology that makes things easier and democratises that information, as I said before, it's kind of the thing that needs to happen to make sure we don't lose young people from the industry. Just another project that I wanted to talk to you about, your website mentions the Common Office project. Yeah, so this is an idea that started at the end of last year after I just set up Excel Works. Because Excel Works was a collaborative model, um, you know, I, I, I got to know a lot of people in locally in Norwich who I'd worked with at bigger practices, you know, very experienced people across all, you know, not just architects, you know, technicians, planners, M&E, designers, and transport expert, experts. And uh, they'd all, you know, they'd all held high up roles and they decided to have a change and be, you know, set their own businesses. So it struck me that there's a, there a huge sort of a amount of knowledge there that was kind of going unacknowledged. I've always enjoyed working collaboratively you know in designs and working in teams and i think when i set up excel works you go there was we had a shared office but you know it was this idea that there could be also a network or a community of like-minded people that could share knowledge ideas and um, as it turns out you know during the pandemic you know just keep spirits up or ask questions about how everybody was finding it and stuff and so the idea of the common office was to you know, I just went around saying to people, you know, what about this? Why don't we kind of loosely get together with a network of people? And uh, before I knew it, I had about 30 people interested. Um, and then the idea was that we would potentially team together on projects, basically, and and uh, maybe um, get involved in possibly sort of pro bono charity work if those opportunities were there or bid for larger projects as collaborative teams. And we were about to have our first meeting and then and that's when the pandemic struck and lockdown hit mm. so we um but we actually set up a slack group so we we're all in touch throughout the whole lockdown and uh, now we're in the process of setting up a website which will act as a kind of a showcase because a lot of the smaller sole practitioners and businesses don't some don't have a website it's just a way of pulling together multidisciplinary you know, smaller local talent in one place and um, giving a shop window and seeing what opportunities we can explore together. And that's kind of been enabled by technology again, you know, using something like Slack, which is used a lot in the tech industry to exchange ideas and, you know, work with subcontractors. So, yeah, it's been quite, that's been exciting. And it kind of, as a sole practitioner, effectively, it gives you a, it gives you a community or like, you know, an office of people to bounce ideas off. So it's been really, it's been really good. Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people. Our thanks to James Lee Burgess from Excel Works. Now, earlier this month, the Federation of Master Builders in the UK said the fastest rise in construction activity since 1997 risks being undermined by price increases and a shortage of building materials. Brian Berry, their chief executive, said the building materials shortage is disproportionately affecting small builders and threatening their recovery from the pandemic, despite strong growth in the construction sector. Pete the Builder is still here. Let's chat about supply and the related cost situation with materials. What's going on for you, Pete? Basically what happened is 
from my own perspective, I can clearly tell you this because I'm I'm in this exact situation as we speak. I would have priced jobs before the, the pandemic came in at a certain rate based on the prices that would have been the rate at the time. Then the pandemic came in, that job would have either slowed down or sometimes actually stopped completely. Then it got reactivated. But when it got reactivated, the prices that I would have had previously used for my budgets have now gone up for material costs. And also there's a labor shortage. And again, supply and demand is an amazing thing. Suddenly, labor costs are gone up as well. So it has led to a very strange market, a very strange and unique situation. And it's a tough one because people have also budgeted a certain amount of money to do their construction projects. I've no option, but I've got to go back and speak to architects and I've got to speak to the clients or the homeowners and say to them, look, I'm sorry, but the original price that I've given you, I cannot stand over now. I'm trying my best to not do that too much with any of the projects that have started. Big projects would have set budgets. Some of them would have had government allocations um, given to them. And they all now have to reassess everything they're doing because maybe the budget that was put aside to do a certain project is not going to achieve it now. Like materials, every time I open my email, and this is the truth, I'm getting another email in from another supplier, basically increasing their costs. And the the lowest is 8%. It's usually 12%. Some of them are up as far as 18 and 20%. So wow. like it's it's huge. And like if I, if I it depends on the project you're doing as well. So steel and timber and insulation products are the main ones that have been hit. They're not the only ones, but they are the main ones. There already had been previously shortages on the material that they use to make the polyiso and the uh, insulation products. So, um, like, the, the, this is this is real. It's it's what we're living in at the moment, and it's a very... I don't have the answer to it, which is uh, which is even <laughs> more difficult for me. But um, I suppose the one good thing about it is it's not a unique situation in that it's not happening in one place. Um, it's happening everywhere. A bit like the pandemic itself, it's global, and everybody is talking about this. It's not as, as, as if, like, there's one sector or, or one area of, of the world that is kind of going well we're fine over here and um, everybody is in a very similar situation so usually when that's the situation there's a resolution comes because people can't be too greedy because they're all in the same boat i'm hoping that a bit of normality will come back soon and as i said earlier the fact that the timber prices have started to stabilize a little bit um is the first sign of it i'm hoping that it was just like that that first major rush of materials because you've got to remember as well steve that a lot of uh companies had to shut down so their manufacturing had to shut down and that's a very unique situation if you've got a manufacturing plant you open that and you don't close that like even saturdays and sundays those manufacturing plants they they reduce the amount of output but they keep going because it's more expensive to shut down and to start up again than it is to to uh just keep it going at a, at a reduced rate so um a lot of those companies had no choice though. They had to because of the pandemic situation. They had to shut down. They were forced to shut down simply because it was unsafe to keep uh, working and, you know, government regulations wouldn't allow them working in some certain situations. So therefore, the products they were producing, plastics is another one. There's a huge shortage of plastics in certain fields like PVC, fascia and soffit and guttering. It's a big struggle to even find that type of stuff, which is Again, if you, we had a, had this conversation a couple of years ago and you would have said that to me, I would have laughed my head off. I would have went, no way is that ever going to be a problem. And here we are now, it is a problem. But I do think it will resolve itself. I do think it's a case of the, the chain of supply will hopefully stabilize. But again, I'm no expert in this and I am 
kind of hoping a little bit more than being 100% sure. I know you say you're no expert, but you know, you are you are using these materials day in day out. You know your stuff. But do you think that the construction industry has been too reliant on certain materials? Yeah, well, look, if you're working in, in different areas and, and different parts of the world, some different materials are used because obviously there's different climates, there's different environments in, in, in every part of the world. It just so happens in Ireland, we get four different climates in the one day, but that's a, that's a different <laughs> story, you know. But um, some countries are much more humid than others. Some are much hotter climates. So different materials are used in different parts of the world. But when you actually break it down, it is usually a set number of materials that are used. When it comes to high-rise and anything that's large, steel is relied on quite a lot. And obviously concrete, but what reinforces the concrete, steel does. So it's a material that is going to be very difficult for us to get away from. Obviously, architecture has completely changed to now it's both aesthetic and practical. There's very few architects ever set out a set of plans without considering the final aesthetic um, and they, they are always trying to put their own signature on it usually means cantilevered you know trying to push the boundaries a, a lot further than previously so therefore again how do you do that you need steel you need support structures to do those type of things then you get down to your aggregates like your sand your gravels your cements all those type of things they are used globally without the shadow of a doubt and um, there are new um, materials being tried all the time i know like you can you can build houses which are basically um, modular or cubicle built with insulation which is then filled in with concrete in on them as well there's there's like there's so many different technologies there's steel houses now timber frame obviously and just literally simply timber built houses but again when you break it all down sand cement gravels concrete steel timber are your main products and then outside of that then it depends on your environment and what what sort of finishes and what aesthetics you're looking for as well so yeah it would be great to to start changing away from that and and companies are trying to do that i think you know the the construction industry is a very good industry for coming up with new and innovative ways of achieving a very good end result by by doing it in different ways sometimes they're successful and sometimes they aren't but i think it it's always and a time like this when it drives people that extra step to maybe come out with the next real genuine way of doing something without without using the the standard products and and just you know doing a bit of future gazing as you said you know the the existing projects you've got on you're you know needing to in some cases go back to clients and say look the cost of materials has gone up we're going to need to sort of stretch the budget a little bit further but looking to projects that maybe people are discussing with you now, when you're talking to them about the trajectory at the moment of materials, is that putting them off or are they still as keen to go ahead with the project, even though it may cost them a bit more? Most people are still happy to go with it. This is information that's that's out there very easily. And for people who aren't even in construction, they've heard about this already. So, you know, most people are not naive enough to, 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 to think that with all the material prices going up, that suddenly the cost of construction itself is not going to go up. It's a very tricky time because, like, I mean, there's contracts already after being signed. Some companies are literally in a position where they have no choice, but they have to try and achieve or finish the, the project's on-set costs. Sometimes that's just not realistic. Like, I've actually heard of builders literally handing back the, the keys to, to the people who own a house or going to, to, a, to a project manager and just saying, listen, I'm sorry, um, I can't... Uh, I can't continue at the rates. I, I'll be working at a loss. 
and I can't do that. There's no point in me coming here and working and basically losing my business in order to achieve your your project. So, you know, that has happened quite a few times. And I, and I think, it, again, it takes that to happen for people to really wake up and smell the coffee. People will always go, I know it's tough times, but you just go ahead, still get it done. Whereas now, if if, if this is real and, and people are realizing, look, this is just not achievable, um, then they will usually come to some sort of a, a common ground or, or a more sensible place. But when it comes to contracts, um, contract law in construction is a very, very tricky place and you really need to know what your position is before you start doing something as drastic as what I just discussed. There's still a lot of people out there that want work and people have money because some people have lost a lot through this pandemic, but other people have actually saved quite a lot. It's a very unique situation, whereas like in previous times when there was like global financial crashes that was a different scenario that's that's when you're afraid to go and buy your lunch in the shop you know what i mean like that was when you were watching every single little penny i'm you know i'm not saying people shouldn't be frugal and shouldn't be watching what they do but i do think it's a different scenario than previous because there is money there there is finances available to get these jobs done so i suppose if you're somebody that's listening to this and you're thinking is this the good or a bad time to uh to build as well i don't know is the answer really on that because will prices go back down again in my lifetime not too many prices have gone back down most prices go in one direction and that's usually up inflation and that type of stuff but i do think that there's been a bit of a bubble and i think it will settle back down to a little bit of normality but i think that's going to happen sooner rather than later honestly steve i hope it happens sooner rather than later <laughs> we all do and uh well let's let's wait and see what happens next it's uh always interesting to see uh how things are unfolding but it's it's just it's just the big positive is that there is still the demand there which is uh which is always a good thing absolutely steve there's plenty of demand out there we're still very very busy apologies if i was negative today steve i'm just getting a lot off my chest my man i'm just getting a lot off my chest <laughs> This is as much a group therapy as it is a podcast, so that's, that's absolutely fine. And it's good to have an overall positive there that, you know, things are busy. And uh, on that note, I'll let you get back to your day job because I know you've got a lot to do. Cheers, Steve. Great to talk to you again. And that's all for this episode. No shortage of supply here for August with three episodes planned. Get them automatically using your favourite podcast app. Just follow or subscribe. And please give us a rating or review and share this with others that may be interested. We're on social media and at constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. And until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. <laughs>